The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The nursing industry is one of the fastest-growing career forces in the world today. There are so many issues in the healthcare field these days relating to nurses that simply are not discussed in the media. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with Leanne Meyer. Our program will help you with the most relevant information if you're in the nursing field or are planning to enter the industry. Now, here is your host, Leanne Meyer. Welcome to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I am Leanne Meyer, your host today, and I'm also your guest today. I want to thank you to, uh, or send out a thank you to all the people around the world who have shared emails, encouragement, support for what I'm trying to do here. Uh, last week, we heard from my guest, Lenore Rockler. She's a career consultant, and we talked together about many, many different things about how to catch a nursing career. And I think for many people, um, if you haven't been familiar with nursing in the recent times, you have a tendency to think only of uh, nurses being in hospitals or in um, clinics and that sort of thing. But uh, Lenore was able to really fill us in with a whole bunch of other things that nurses can do. Um, If you missed that program, you can still hear it by going back to the voiceamerica.com, health and wellness, and then uh, click on my host page, once a nurse, always a nurse, exploring the world of nursing. Um, And you can do that anytime you want to. It's like a podcast. So today, we're going to be looking at people respecting people. And I had already to do decided to do this piece today before the events of Saturday uh, in Charlottesville, Virginia, USA. Um, it was an unfortunate incident where two groups of people trying to put across their very strong viewpoints came into clashing and actually ended up with one person being killed and several people being injured. Um, I'm not going to go into that today, but it's kind of ironic that today I'm talking about this subject. So I would like to just dedicate this show to the people who were there, those who were hurt and those who unwittingly um, chose to hurt themselves and, and their cause by using violence. So the premise of our show today is to look at how, despite the fact that the vast majority of us just want peace and civility in our lives, it often escapes us. Uh, This is really too huge of a topic to handle in one hour, but what I want to do is just start a dialogue on the topic, and then we will periodically return to various aspects of it in the weeks and months to come. If you have thoughts, experiences, and suggestions that you'd like to share, please feel free to contact me on my email, Leanne, L-E-A-N-N-E, voiceamerica at gmail.com. And you can also go to the host page I just talked about uh, previously. 
the easy answer to why we often get embroiled in conflicts despite our best intentions is that we humans are really hardwired to spot danger in seconds. We even have a nervous system that teaches uh, us to react in what most people know as a fight or flight, that, that feeling of, oh, second of danger and then oh my gosh what do I do do I run or do I get ready to fight and all our organs start to shut down except for the most important ones and the ones that help us to run or to be stronger Uh, so we're you know right there we're ready to fight so that's long that's been thousands of years in the making and so of course it's going to show up in our um, in our situation also uh, let's see here. Um, so even though we don't have woolly ma- mammoths around anymore to be concerned about, we still do make those five-second judgments about just about everything in our life that's new or different to us. Uh, that five-second judgment is based on your own lifetime experiences and thousands of years of conditioning to distrust anything not familiar. Over time, we learn to stick with what is known and firm in our life, and we fear anything unknown to us that sets off that fight-or-flight response. We want to control that which is fearful to us, but what we don't realize a lot of time is that the, the really the trick in controlling the fear within ourselves is bringing up our wisdom and our curiosity to, de- to determine if this new thing is actually dangerous to us. So I'll give you a a really small example, but something that happened to me when I was a child. And in that situation, um, I found that uh, my little child brain was figuring out, how come I always get into trouble with certain people? And so in trying to figure that out, I decided it was Linda's and Jim's that got me into trouble. And, you know, it sounds ridiculous as I talk about it now, but that was really what I came up with. All I have to do is avoid Linda's and Jim's. By the way, those are made up names from the ones I really really, uh, uh, decided to stay away from. But the funny thing is that sort of worked for me as a child. But the really funny thing is that even as I became an adult, I found myself when I'd be meeting somebody named Linda or Jim, I would sort of jump back or kind of like, you know, maybe I was even putting my hand out to shake hands with them. And suddenly I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is a Linda or a Jim. So even though my adult brain knew that was ridiculous, it still would set in in those few seconds of learning that person's name. It, like I said, it worked uh, to some extent in my childhood, but it actually created more problems in my adulthood. Um, I ran across a book called Taming Your Gremlins, and um, that book is written by Rick Carson. It's actually kind of an older book, and I'm not even sure if it's in print, but, you know, you can always go to the old books on various different sites, and uh, usually they're around somewhere. Um, So... Uh, what he said basically is that gremlins are basically things, ways we've taught ourselves in childhood to deal with really big, scary things. And it can be something as simple as what I was talking about meeting with uh, someone named Linda or Jim. Or it could be something really big like a child who's been abused. abused. <coughs> and they, um, they learn ways of dealing with 
uh, getting around that abuse or whatever. They continue that into adulthood and where it probably had some uh, positive benefit for them in childhood, it may not work for them in adulthood and often works against them. So uh, let's take that example of Linda and Jim just a little bit further. Um, Let's say I am meeting somebody who is, let's say, Linda. And um, as I interact with that person, for no reason that they can figure out, I'm having a reaction uh, that seems irrational to them. It, It is irrational. So they're observing something from the other side and going, what on earth is going on here? So they may go into their own personal version of fight or flight, and they may become wary toward me. And, of course, what I do is take that wariness as proof that um, I need to be worried about this person. I was right. And that interrupts the natural curiosity and openness that happens in a healthy uh, greeting situation or meeting of new people. Uh, The situation that I'm holding on to um, might be anything. It might be the color of their clothes they're wearing. It could be the fact they're in a wheelchair that maybe is... Uh, annoying or upsetting or worrying to me. It could be uh, ear piercings or body piercings. It could be tattoos that people have either all over their body or on their face that just kind of takes me back and I'm not sure how to deal with it. It could be even something as simple as the color of their eyes. So we all have some version of that. We all, whether we admit it or not, have some uh, predetermined um, Uh, discretion, I guess, uh, about people that we're going to trust and people we're not going to trust. So even if there was something about this person that should concern me, uh, there still are as, as many or more things about that person that are positive. So, however, um, as soon as I grasp onto that negative, it's more difficult for me to even see the positive. Um, I just, it's like I get blinded to everything else and all I can see is the negative. So, if we were going to take that five-second judgment, how about if we started out with curiosity for a positive outcome or for a po- looking for something positive in that person instead of focusing on something negative? It's hard to do, and it takes time to learn it. Uh, One of the things along the way that I heard about, I just loved an old Chinese parable. And it sort of uh, helped me to understand what that would be like to look at something from a different point of view than what I am already hardwired to look at it. So the way I understand the parable is that uh, it talks about a very wealthy man in a very ancient village He was considered wealthy simply because he owned a horse, and uh, uh, he was the only one in town that did. So everyone would come up and say, oh my gosh, you're so fortunate, you know, you're a wealthy man, you're so fortunate, and of course everybody wanted to be his best friend. So he would always say, how do you know? And things would go on for a while, and then the horse jumped its fence and disappeared, and suddenly this wealthy man looked like he was just like everybody else. And people who had been trying to connect with them were trying to distance themselves from him because he was no longer wealthy. So eventually, and so they told him that, you know, what a terrible, awful thing to happen. You must, you know, not have very much fortune. 
And so one day the horse comes back and he comes back with 10 other horses and he leads them right into the corral. And suddenly the, the wealthy man has 10 times the wealth that he had before. And all the people come running back. Oh, you're so fortunate. You're so fortunate. And he would each time he would say, how do you know? So this continues to go on. The wealthy man's son uh, breaks the horses and is thrown and uh, is paralyzed uh, and is not able to walk. And people tell him, you know, this is a terrible thing. And the, old, and the wealthy man says, how do you know? A war comes along and all of the other people in the village have to send their sons off to war. But of course, the wealthy man's son can't go because he's paralyzed. And again, the wealthy man says, you know, how do you know whether this is benefit or this is loss? And so it goes on and on like that. But that's basically what it is. In any single thing that happens to us, we have a choice to look at it as a positive thing or look at it as a negative thing. And however, whatever we choose is the direction we will go from there uh, and continue on to maybe create more negatives and more negatives or create more positives and more positives. So it's that idea of turning poison into medicine, something that's really bad to us instead of just being so thrown by it, uh, saying, getting curious and saying, oh, well, this is unfortunate. What's the, what's the good thing that's in it? What's the silver lining in the dark cloud? So... Um, uh, so how we look at things is going to make a big, big difference for us. Um, there's so many different ways of seeing this, and I've seen this many, many times in my work, where I can remember certain times where um, we would feel bad because we didn't have enough patients, or we didn't have, you know, we were having to have people either float to other floors or um, have to go home. And then we'd have other times when it was so incredibly uh, busy that just we, we couldn't hardly keep up with it. We couldn't get enough people in. And so um, uh, what we would end up uh, doing when it got to be very busy is many times you'd have people complaining about how this was so terrible. I remember one specific situation where we'd had a number of weeks where everybody was uh having to go home and then we had a huge influx um, in about a week uh, p- space of a week over the 4th of July we had more patients in that one week come in this was an OB department than we normally would have as an average in a month and what ended up happening is every one of those nurses separately decided they were going to be a part of the solution rather than just sit and complain about it. And so some people were calling other people in, others were trying to figure out a way of handling the extra people that we had. We came up with just the most incredible um, uh, ideas about how to deal with it. We opened a unit that uh, had been a, a coronary care unit and had been empty for a couple of years. We were able to get the housekeeping to come in and help us. We moved down the equipment and things that we needed for postpartum patients to take their babies. We found nurses to go and stack um, staff that area for 24 hours a day for the days that we needed to do it. It ended up being such a feather in our cap, and we felt so good about how we had worked as a team. 
I can really see how that could have gone another direction had we chosen to look at it as a negative and as everybody saying, but it's my vacation and why should I have to come in? And, and um, you're just asking too much of us. Um, I'm not sure how things would have gone for those patients that came in. They really often didn't know there was anything special going on. They felt like they got treated very, very well. And... Um, We're very happy with the care that they received. Some of the doctors were amazed because they would come to the ordinary floor and we'd be all set and ready to redirect them, whether they were the obstetrician, whether they were the uh, pediatrician, whether it was family, whoever it was that came, we were right there ready to be able to help them find exactly what they needed when they needed it. So it ended up being a very positive uh, situation for us. Uh, and something that could have been pretty bad. I want to, uh, uh, we're going to go to break here. And I again want to thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. And I am your host, Leanne Meyer. We're here today talking about people, respecting people, and sort of the groundwork of, of why and how our relationships can go astray. So we're going to be right back um, right after this short break, and we will be continuing on this topic. And again, thank you for listening in. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Take us on the go. It's even easier now. The Voice America Talk Radio Network has launched our mobile app for iPhone, Android, or BlackBerry. Visit the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market to download the app powered by Aircast. It's free and no registration is necessary. In minutes, you could be enjoying your favorite Voice America Talk Radio host, no matter where you are, in the car, out and about, while traveling, or anytime you can't be close to your computer. Catch up on the archives you've missed or discover new shows on the spot. Search Voice America at your favorite app store. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. 
Hi, this is Leanne Meyer. We are on Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, another look at nursing or exploring the world of nursing. And I'm your host, Leanne Meyer. Um, What I've been doing here is just setting a baseline for an understanding of the concept of respect and to help us try to look at how do we look at other people and how do we respect or not respect other people. So I have some uh, analogies of why our perception of a situation can make all the difference in the outcome. Um, So negative perceptions, if unchallenged, can lead us to a whole line of misperception and confusion. Um, It can verify and substantiate the fear that we already had regarding the situation. If we only talk to others who share our fear, it will be reinforced. And then again, we come back into that situation where um, again and again, we see the situation, we feel like it's something I either have to escape from or fight from. And, um, and then, of course, people are reacting to us. And so uh, the cycle just keeps going on. So um, I don't know why, but somehow or another, my childhood is, keeps coming back to my mind today. And another example of myself as a child, I was a pretty intense kid. Anybody who knows uh, personality assessments and Myers-Briggs, I am an ENFJ, which if I'm healthy and happy, it's actually a pretty good um, type to be, and there aren't very many of us in the world. However, when I was not in a good place or not being my best self, I would tend to be very determined that everybody was going to do things my way because I had the best ideas and um, that's just the way it was. I also had a really hard time sharing friends with anyone else. So if I had somebody who was a best friend, then they had to have me as a best friend and nobody else. And you know how kids are, that sort of thing doesn't work very well. What's going on for you on one day might not be something on the other day, and your mother might have an idea of a new person in. So how I would kind of handle those situations is that um, I would get into big fights. And the fight would be uh, very, very important to me, and sometimes not so important to the other people. So I would walk away from there. I would, you know, say, I'll show you. I'm going to make you so sorry that you didn't uh, continue to be friends with me. And in reality, they didn't stop the friendship. I did. And even that whole thing, you hear people saying this all the time, you know, people who are divorced or people are about to divorce, they may say, oh, I'm going to make that person so miserable that they'll wish they, they hadn't left me and they'll come back to make everything good again. And that strikes me as a really odd thing to think, but think how many people do go that way. It's like, why would making somebody even more miserable than they were with you before make them want to come back to you? But many people have that feeling. So I did. And um, uh, at that age, I suppose that was probably fairly normal. So I would, you know, stomp off or what it was I would do. And that they just went merrily on their own way and probably were having a much better time without me and all the conflict that I was bringing. Uh, So sooner or later, I'd figure out, oh, um, I didn't really make them sorry at all. And uh, maybe I'm going to I'm here alone and they're having fun together. So I need to do something about this. So um, I would uh, 
probably slither up to them. I, I guess I'll back up just a minute. I would say that, um, uh, it, how, how should I put this? Um, I would make up who those other people really were or were not based on my own determination of what was what. And as I look back on it, I think I was pretty cruel sometimes. Um, What I was actually doing was I was demonizing some people according to my own standards or what I call angelizing others um, according to my standards. So both could be right and both could be wrong. It may be in actual fact that some of the people I was demonizing had some characteristics that were not the best or uh, didn't work well for me. And in fact, some of the people I was angelizing had some of those wonderful um, um, attributes, but they also had some things that maybe weren't so good. But when we try to demonize or angelize, we focus on only that one part. And then that's all we see. That's what people um, react to from us and what we're doing. So over years, I began to realize that uh, I was the only one that was being hurt. And in fact, by um, being continuing to be angry at that other person, uh, they weren't even aware of what my feelings were. And so I just, it was like, many of you may have heard the concept of taking a teaspoon of poison and expecting the other person to die. And that's kind of what it comes down to, is that's what I was doing. So it took me... Um, years to realize that that was not working for me. So eventually I would sort of slither back into the group and beg to be a part of the fun. And then um, I realized that, hey, they really had some good ideas. And uh, maybe that new kid I was jealous of was really pretty cool. And we could actually get along all together. Somewhere around 12 years old, I can remember uh, having the thought that if I didn't like someone, perhaps it it was just that I didn't know them very well. And once I got to know them better, there were things that I could appreciate and enjoy about them. And that happened in and out of my life growing up. And I'm sure everybody else has had some experiences like that. Um, So that kind of came into my nursing, too, that I would get that same feeling of I was doing things right, nobody else was doing it right. Uh, At one point, I was working, I was learning obstetrics and working in obstetrics, and um, I started to have these realizations. I'm, I'm a Buddhist, and through my practice, I began to realize that what were those people actually doing wrong? Um, In fact, I didn't even know exactly what they were doing or why they were doing it. And so I started to think, well, what if what if I asked them? So I started asking them, what are you doing? Show me what you're doing. And nine times out of 10, it would be something that was even better than what I was used to doing. But because I was the RN and they were um, my employees, they I had the idea they had to do what I said and I couldn't. uh, learn anything from them. So after a while of doing this, people seemed to enjoy being with me a lot more. And eventually one of the supervisors came up to me and she said, what's going on here? She said, it used to be I couldn't get anyone to come up here and work with you. And now everybody wants to come up and work with you. What's changed? And the reality is they didn't change at all. I was the only one that changed. And when I heard her say that, it came just like a huge aha for me. And so I I just, you know, I've tried to work on growing and developing those sorts of ahas as they come along. 
The other thing I began to realize, as soon as the word right or wrong or good and bad or demon or angel popped into my mind, I was already in trouble because those those opposites that are so, um, you know, black and white, they're so uh, specific. You miss all of the, the color that's in between there. There's always, it's like we're on a spectrum of being our best self to being our worst self. And every, every one of us is somewhere in between on that spectrum um, every day. And we're making choices to determine which side of that spectrum we're going to go to uh, um, and, and how much we want to stay in that area. And then our environment will play back to us pretty much what we're putting out. So I've, I've learned to realize if my environment is not supporting me, that um, that's probably a problem. And um, I need to take a good hard look at that. So let's bring this back to nursing again. Uh, if we as adults and professional nurses uh, can take a conscious step back when we realize that we're being triggered to look at, at something Look at what is triggering us. If we don't assume that trigger is coming from somewhere else outside of us, then maybe it's coming from within us. And, um, and perhaps that's something that we can spend some time working on. So uh, most of the time I found the trigger is within me anyway. So it, what it will be is uh, bringing up our wisdom in our own life, which will help us understand how to proceed, how to get curious. Uh, to determine if there really is a reason for us to be concerned or not. So one of the things that I did um, when I was working for a large healthcare organization, uh, after I'd sustained a number of injuries, I was no longer able to work as a nurse. So I was working in teaching and managing the new employee orientation for the whole organization. And that was... uh, quite a responsibility. At one point, it occurred to me that what we seemed to be doing was just taking all of these new employees that were uh, what I called thirsty young plants. And in eight hours, we were trying to pour water of every single possible thing the organization wanted them to know and learn so that we could check it off our list and say, oh, we gave them that. The reality was they walked out of that orientation like zombies. And they couldn't wait to get out of there, and they never wanted to come back to a room like that again. So I started looking at it, along with some other people. We put our heads together, and we came up with some really great ideas on how to change our orientation so that it was looking at it through the employees' eyes. What would they want to have? What would make it easier for them to remember the things that we wanted them to do? So like every good trainer, um, we started to develop interactive exercises and in, in, in each of the sessions, whether it was something as uh, boring as uh, right to know information or infection control or any of the other things that can be deadly dull. We made them fun, made games out of them, um, had competition involved or uh, collaboration involved with it, and we tried to help them learn our core behaviors of the organization through the exercises we were doing in teaching them about um, our organization. So what I did do um, that many people questioned at the time is I spent in that eight hours, I spent one full hour on a program that I called People Respecting People, kind of basically what this program is about. 
And we did exercises that got people up and mingling, finding connections and friends in the room in all of that sea of faces, people would find out they knew something uh, in common with somebody else, or maybe they had friends or relatives from the same town, or all kinds of different ways that they um, connected. And at the end of every orientation, they walked out with smiles on their faces, and I found that many of them would actually stay for 10 or 15 minutes longer to tell me it was like the best orientation they had had. And it was simply that it, it addressed what they needed to know and what they needed to support themselves and that was what they appreciated. One of the first exercises that we went through regarding our core behaviors and this is something pretty much every organization has or at least every large one. Where does it usually live? Uh, For most places it's probably on the website. It might be on the wall. There's plaques and all sorts of things that they have up, but it's rare that the employees actually know anything about it and certainly don't see it uh, in their daily lives. And so um, we had one core behavior that was called customer service, and um, it talked about the golden rule, treat others as you wish to be treated. And what I found over time is actually every major religion and every culture um, in the world has a version of this um, core behavior, or do unto others as you wish to have them do unto you. And most of you will recognize or can can figure out what that would look like in your uh, culture or your um, uh, country. So I had taught this for years when one day one young African-American woman raised her hand and she said, how do you know I want to be treated like you want to be treated? I was absolutely stunned and stumped. I had no answer for her. And I, I asked her, you know, what do you think it should be? I'm sure my mouth was hanging open for probably a minute. And um, she said, What about treating others as they wish to be treated? And I had to stop and think about that. What would be different about changing one word in that core behavior? Treating others as we wish to be treated to treating others as they wish to be treated. And what I realized was it put in curiosity and it put in the need to ask them who they were and what they wanted. And I realized that was really what we were trying to get at. And so even this big organization, 7,600 employees and all of the different hierarchy between me and those top people, I went back to them and convinced them that we needed to have that core behavior say, treat others as they wish to be treated. And from then on, uh, that's what we would ask them to do. And we would ask them, what's different about this? And of course, everyone would come up with, oh, well, the only way you can know how someone else wants to be treated is you have to ask, you have to listen, and then you have to remember what they said and and do that thing. The second exercise that we had is one that I'll describe here, but it may be difficult for, for everyone to kind of experience it, but maybe you can try it on someone else. So I'd have them sit back in a relaxed manner And I would say five words um, in in order and just a little space between them. And I wanted them to picture in their mind what what came to their mind when I said the word and then how that picture changed with each um, continuing word that I was saying. So the first one was woman, woman, 
mother, mother, grandmother, grandmother, Asian, Asian, doctor, doctor. And so what most people found was that when they first heard woman or mother or even up to grandmother, they would maybe imagine the same person themselves, their own mother, own grandmother, something along that line. But as soon as I got to Asian, unless they were Asian, that they had like a jarring experience of, oh my gosh, that, that's not what I had in mind. And then when it came to doctor, for many of them, people don't think of, still in this day and age, don't necessarily think of doctors as being women, and certainly Asian women, unless they have had a doctor like that, might not come to mind. So um, I just wanted them to realize that we do have uh, ideas in our minds that we hold there. So um, the next one that I did was uh, male, male, football player, football player, a student, a student, homeless, homeless. And hopefully the same thing happened with you. Um, you, you hear all of these things, male, maybe you think of, um, you know, a, a, a young man that you know or know of, and uh, then you find out he's a football player, so you picture a certain size or uh, something like that. And then a student comes in, and for many of us, uh, putting football player and a student together isn't a comfortable mix, and so we tend to think, oh, that's jarring. But then when I added homeless at the end, that really jarred people because all of the previous things didn't fit into that comprehension. This was actually a real person that was in a magazine that I saw, and I had his name. And so when I would turn the picture to this gorgeous young um, African-American man, um, I said, if this young man was brought into your emergency room, would you know that he had all of these amazing attributes? And of course, they would always say no. So... um, Uh, When we come into the connection with new cultures and uh, other people in our ERs or doctors or hospitals, uh, offices, um, we need to think about how we're going to interact with them. We're going to take a break here and I will come back to this uh, when we get back again. So this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, Exploring the World of Nursing. I'm Leanne Meyer. We're talking about um, people respecting people. And we will be back with you in just a few minutes. Thank you so much for continuing to listen. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480 294 
888-346-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to leannevoiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse. Hi, this is Leanne Meyer with Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing. And I've been talking about various aspects of people respecting people. And um, I was in the middle of an experience that I was doing in the emergency, or excuse me, in the orientation that I was doing for new employees. And a couple of thoughts came to me um, during the break that I didn't have a chance to mention. So the young man who was the football player, um, he actually, and again, he was a real person. And his story was that at 14, his family had moved to um, another state. And it was not going to be a good situation for him. It was um, uh, kind of, at any rate, he decided it wasn't a place he wanted to be. He had friends in Minnesota. He loved his school. He loved all the situation that was going on. So at 14, he decided to hitchhike his way back to Minnesota, got himself enrolled in school, and was literally homeless for, I think it was like nine months, almost the entire next year. And nobody knew about it. So he was, um, it was during the 2008 time when there were a lot of boarded up homes. And he was breaking into these homes and just trying to stay warm in our Minnesota winters, finding food where he could, and maintaining his A average and being a football player. Somehow or another, it came out, and he was um, brought to the principal and then brought to the social worker and they helped him to get some assistance to stay there through the rest of his high school years and graduate from there. So I had been saying this in the orientation for quite a while before somebody in the back of the room raised her hand and stood up and said, I was that social worker who worked with him uh, to help him get the rest of the way through high school. And everybody in the room gasped. I mean, what are the odds, I picked this story out of a magazine, that the person who is so intimately involved in it could verify and then give us more information about the the student. So again, just that idea of somebody walks into your emergency room or into your hospital or your office or whatever it is, to not assume you know who that person is, um, to really start to get curious and look at who they might be. 
So some of the other things that happened at that time is people were talking a lot about all the new cultures of people who were showing up in our hospitals and offices, etc. And so the wisdom of that time was that they had these books that covered just about every culture on the world, um, what they believe, what they eat, how they deal with healings, and on and on and on. So uh, what would end up happening, and it was a big problem, is um, people forgot that each of those patients is an individual. And so as they encouraged these nurses to uh, read these books, it also made the nurses sort of come to assume that uh, who someone was based on that particular book. And then when they come in and meet that person, it might be that's not who they were at all. Um, I had uh, stepchildren who were Vietnamese. And um, when people in schools, etc., would interact with them as though they spoke Vietnamese and they, you know, acted, they were born in the United States. They were American kids. They didn't see themselves as Vietnamese. So had they been in the hospital and people were bringing them food that would be more normal for a Vietnamese family or talking to them about various different uh, rituals of healing, they wouldn't have known what that was being talked about. So again, realizing that the person is an individual no matter what. And so my suggestion to my own staff was to just say, is there anything that I can do to make you feel more comfortable while you're here with us? And then please ask me any question you have and ask me for whatever you might need, no matter how small. And then I had to say that with sincerity because I found some people could say that kind of thing, but then uh, it didn't come off very well if if their actual sincerity wasn't there. Um, The other thing was that I found even in my best efforts to not step on people's toes or not disrespect them, I would just inadvertently just, you know, from not knowing that particular person or um, that, you know, some of the culture behind them. So what I found to do that seemed to work pretty well is I would say, if there's anything that I have said or done that has damaged our relationship, I am sorry. Could you could you share with me what might have happened here? So that might be in a situation where you're noticing the relationship has changed between you and the patient, and you're wondering if it may have been something you did. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Some people will share, some people won't. But at the, the very least, they know that you or that they are important to you and that you are willing to uh, try and work with them in respect. Um, so all of this teaching that I did in that orientation only worked because my organization had been working for around 15 to 20 years trying to create an organization that had respect as the very core of what we were doing. That meant that every person from top to bottom, the CEO to the latest person who had been uh, hired, um, people from different departments, patients, families, everybody we tried to look at as somebody uh, who had many positive attributes and that even if they weren't behaving in their best way in that particular moment, that we could help them feel confident and um, comfortable enough to be able to come back to being their better self. So, um, and and oddly enough, we heard from our patients that how how much they felt that we were very caring, uh, that they uh, saw that every time they came in and it kept coming over and over in our, um, as people would fill out the different um, uh, 
<laughs> brain just died, uh, the summaries that they would fill out on how their uh, experience went with our when they were with our organization. So we actually incorporated it into the title of our organization. And then every single department had care in the name. So it would be coronary care or it would be intensive care. Well, some are those are people people have anywhere. But respiratory care, it would be um, uh, emergency care. It would be all kinds of things like that where every single title had care in the name. So... Um, for the last segment, uh, I wanted to um, talk a little bit more about uh, many of us look at the world around us through only one lens, our lens. And um, we can, uh, and sometimes you're quickly aware when someone else has done or s- something to upset us, but we're not always so good at picking out when we've done something to upset somebody else. And many times what ends up happening, the, the, I think the most natural thing for people is to point in the other direction. I always think of um, kids fighting. You've got a couple of kids that are fighting in the backyard and you come and try to pull them apart and you say, who started this? And what's the uh, universal reaction? He did or she did. Um, and so when you try to get down to it, sometimes it's very hard because oftentimes the person who maybe uh, did or said something that just undid, unglued uh, the other person was maybe a word or a phrase or a look or maybe not talking to the person or walking away from them or any number of things where that person who did it would say, I didn't do anything. And the other person would be hurt or offended in reacting to what they perceived as a, as a slight. And that can happen just so often. Um, and again, what we tend to do is say, what's wrong with that person, instead of first asking, well, what might be going on for me? So one of the things that I started doing with my RN Refresher group is I set it up an exercise where I had a number of uh, beautiful pictures of sunrises or sunsets. And I handed them out, uh, kind of, they could take their own card and sort of secretly look at it and decide for themselves, what this was this a sunrise or a sunset? And then they would arrange themselves on opposite sides of the room, uh, on the west side if they thought it was a sunset, and on the, on the east side if they thought it was a sunrise. And so we would go around the room, each person would show their card and explain what they had decided and why. And then as we'd go along, it would turn out that there would be other people who had the same card and perhaps had decided the opposite thing. And so, um, you know, you get back to, oh, you know, who's right here? That's, you know, it's either a sunrise or sunset. Who's right? And so sometimes I'd let them argue about it a little bit, and sometimes I would jump in a little bit earlier. But really what it would come down to, I would say, um, who's the only person who knows whether this is a sunrise or a sunset? And I'm always amused when people can't figure out who that would be. And, of course, it's the person who took the picture only. Um, But it it gets them to the point of talking about right and wrong, good and bad, that we talked about the demonizing versus angelizing. And uh, what ends up happening uh, is that once we have decided something is what we think it is, it's very hard for us to see anything else. And so very important to kind of stay neutral for as long as possible. 
another thing we would do in that same exercise is then I would give e- uh, each pair of students uh, a picture of an illusion. And they would need to look at that illusion and uh, try to decide if they can see at least two, if not more, things in the picture. And just as an example for the the audience here, uh, many people have seen the one where it's two women. One woman is an old, very old, craggy-looking old lady, and the other one is a very young, beautiful-looking young lady. And what I find, again, many times uh, I would hold up the picture and we'd ask the audience, you know, what do you see? Some of the room would raise their hand and say, well, it's an old woman. And someone would say, it's a young woman. And sometimes they would actually argue with each other for a period of time about it. So when we came to the point of saying, it's actually both, both pictures are in this one picture at the same time. And people who need to have that um, difference between right and wrong and, and that sort of thing really would struggle with it. Whatever they saw first was what they could see, and the opposite one was very difficult for them to determine. And um, and then as we go around the room, they had to do it with each one, and it would go happen over and over again. Um, sometimes nobody could see more than one picture in it, and so I thought that was interesting. And so um, this is not even something new uh, in a course that I took on uh, various different kinds of history, Um, one that was talking about when the Spaniards first came to South America and they landed on the shores and walked up with all of their armor on them. Um, It was a big surprise to the the, um, Indians that were there already. And people were like, well, wouldn't they have seen these huge ships with the masts and all of those kinds of things? And so some studies had been done on it, apparently, and what they found was that the children saw the ships coming over the horizon and were fascinated in bringing the adults there, but the adults really couldn't see it. Whatever they would see would be something that they knew to be normal or they, you know, they, they just couldn't see the the ship because they'd never experienced such a thing and they couldn't wrap their heads around it. So when these people showed up on their beach walking out of the water, in some cases they were looked as maybe gods that just show up showed up out of nowhere. And um, by the time they figured out these people were not on their side, they were in a whole lot of trouble, both with the diseases and, you know, many other things that came along with it. So I think you've got the picture here, basically, of um, what I'm trying to get across. And as I said, this will be a foundation going forward. Um, For most of you listening, there's nothing new here for you that I've said. And for others, it may sound a little familiar, but maybe something you haven't thought about recently. And maybe still others might think, I've never thought about it this way. I've never looked at the situation this way. So I'll be happy if um, this has just given you a moment to rethink how do you look at the world and the people in it, and how do people react to you based on how you react to them. I have a poem that I just love. And I want to share it with you. I don't know who the author is. If anybody out there does, please let me know. It says, watch your thoughts, for they become your words. Choose your words, for they become your actions. Understand your actions, for they become your habits. Study your habits, for they will become your character. Develop your character, for it becomes your destiny. 
And I just love that. So if anybody knows who authored it, let me know. So we have finished another hour here, and I'm so grateful that you've hung in here with me. Uh, Again, this is Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, another look at nursing. Um, We are going to be joined next time by uh, Donna Cardillo, and some of you may be very familiar with her. She is uh, a nationally known, she's a nurse, but she's a nationally known uh, speaker, humorist, retreat, and seminar leader. Um, She's just done a ton of things. She's written several books. Her most recent one is called Falling Together, and uh, we will be talking about that. We'll also be talking about the power that women and the power that nurses have that we don't always realize or acknowledge. So thank you again for listening, and again, if you have any comments or suggestions or ideas, please let me know, and I will be with you next Monday. Thank you for listening to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with your host, Leanne Meyer. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a productive and insightful week.